Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Amen. Hey, listen, get your Bibles. I have a a heavy word on my heart this morning. Uh, We'll be wrapping up a series that I've been doing called Back to the Garden. How many have been here for the majority of that series? I think I've preached a few of the messages, um, at least, I don't know, two or three of them, and we're going to conclude with number four here today. Um, And the text is going to be in Luke chapter 23, verse 44 through 46. Luke chapter 23 verse 44 through 46. And I'll begin reading. Verse 44 says this, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. I want everybody to say veil. Veil. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. I've been thinking about that word veil this past week and what that looked like. I have quite the imagination. Um, As I grow older, it gets worse. My mom used to say, boy, you've got quite an imagination. Well, it's gotten worse with age. So as I begin to think... As I begin to think about this whole word veil and how it was rent from top to bottom, it was evident that in that last hour that Jesus was hanging on the cross, something was accomplished. More than what was accomplished in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans' eyes, uh, their accomplishment was that this rebellious guy in Israel who was leading an uproar is dead, but much, much more than that was accomplished. Something happened in the spirit realm when Jesus was crucified that caused this, what we call a veil, was rent from top to bottom. And I, w- I want to give you um, a picture. I don't teach too much on the, the Old Testament, but I want to I show you this picture. I'm not sure if uh, we were able to find it online. It is uh, a picture of the wilderness tabernacle. Everybody say the wilderness tabernacle. It was also named the Tent of Meeting. Um, In Jesus' day, he would have been more familiarized um, with Solomon's Temple. But it had the same type of structures, except for Solomon's Temple was made of gold and marble. It was made of grandeur. It was huge. It was worth, in our day, probably millions and millions of dollars. But in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, there was a type and a shadow of this tabernacle. And it was called the Tent of Meeting. And it looked something like this. And I'm sorry uh, we found this last minute, so I apologize for the words on the screen that's kind of obstructing the picture. But this is typically what it looked like. And it was comprised of three different areas. There was an outer court 
That would be the courtyard area. And what you see here is a place of sacrifice where every year the priest uh, would slay a lamb or a burnt offering, and that would be considered the outer court. So that would be the place of sacrifice. And just beyond that, in front of that, was what you called the, 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 the brazen altar. It would, people would go there and wash their hands. That was signifying cleansing after they would get bloody, after they would slay that lamb. And, and, and as I stop and park there for just one moment, is that most Christians' lives look like this wilderness tabernacle. And here's how Moses came up with it. He went up to the mountain when he got the Ten Commandments, and God gave him instruction on how to construct this thing. It was comprised of the outer court that I just described. And on the inside, just beyond those columns that you see, that was called the inner court or um, the holy place. Everybody say the holy place. That would be the place where religious activities would take place. Um, not to go into the detail of it, but there was um, the showbread and, and so on and so on. And uh, beyond that, you see this blue sheet looking thing, and, and that would be called the veil. Now, beyond the veil contained the third and most holy place, hence the Holy of Holies. And so when Jesus, when, in Luke 23, when Jesus is crying out, it is finished, when that veil was rent from top to bottom, this is the veil that they were talking about. But the veil that was in Jesus' day was actually Solomon's temple. But this is just a replica. Everybody say the holy place. So that holy place divided, that, excuse me, the veil separated the holy place from the most holy of holies. And the reason why they called the holy of holies what it was is because of what it contained beyond that veil. There was what you call the Ark of the Covenant with wings and the broken Ten Commandments were in there. When Moses had got upset because the children of Israel were sinning, he got mad and threw the, the tablets at them and broke them. And so they gathered them all and put them in a box and it was overlaid with gold. It was a wooden box, but inside were the broken Ten Commandments, say the Ten Commandments. Now, in the Old Testament, there was no services that contained the presence of God. This was the only place that the presence of God dwelt. And in those days, they said you could physically see the presence of God. There was almost this fiery pillar that would be above this tabernacle, and it would give indication that the presence of God dwelt there. So they treated this box very holy. Amen? And it was very protected. And so when Jesus died, when they say that veil was written from top to bottom and he cried out, it is finished, there were so much implications as to what Jesus was saying and what had happened with that veil. What Jesus did, rent the veil from top to bottom, was giving me and you access, not just the priest, was giving you and I access again to the very presence of God, which had been lost in the garden of Adam and Eve when they sinned against God. God was literally giving access, but just because God gives us access doesn't mean everybody gains access to the presence of God. Because if we were to be honest, most Christians' lives are comprised only of this outer court experience. That really speaks of coming to church 
because we see that sacrifice going on. Most people come to church, and it is indeed a sacrifice, but that is an outer court relationship. My friend, if the only experience you have with God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus his Son is only comprised of an outer court experience, you are missing out on a rich, vibrant relationship with Jesus. And God wants to bring us from being outside to inside into the holy of holies. And throughout all creation, 6,000 years from when Adam and Eve fell in the garden to now 6,000 years later in 2019, he has been beckoning his bride to come from the outer court, just coming to church, outer court into the holy of holies where they have face-to-face encounter and relationship with him where their hearts are moved and gravitate towards him. When I think about this inner court, it's comprised of much more than just going to church. This is the place where the showbread is. Not, it's not beyond the veil. It's that second place where the religious duties are done. So it's not just that Christian who goes to church. It's the one who does the duties, right? They read their Bible. Oh, you know what the duties are. You read enough. You read once a week maybe twice. Maybe you wake up with a devotional every morning, and those things are great. But there's so much more than just going through the motions and your daily reading and even daily prayer. So this is the Christian who gets from the outer court and goes into what they call the inner court or the holy place, and they do their religious duty over and above their tithe and offering, over and above showing up on Sunday morning. Maybe they go to a midweek service, (laughs) Maybe they read their Bible every day. Maybe they're committed to a chapter a day. Maybe they fast once a year. I don't know what that looks like for you, but that would be considered the holy place. But God has so much more than just even that. My friend, if your religious experience is comprised of just coming through the doors on a Sunday morning and you have a midweek Bible study or maybe you have a a men and women's group maybe once a month, that's just the inner court. There's so much more beyond that that God has for you and I. He is into relationship, not religion. He is into divine encounter with you, not just duties. And that's where God is calling us. And this was my whole reason for putting this series together is because it's my duty to grab the hands of the saints and God and put it together and make sure that they have divine encounter with the Father, not just an experience on a Sunday morning. And so the past few weeks, I have been talking about a few different messages, but all comprised of the same type of theme, and it's called Back to the Garden. Everybody say, Back to the Garden. The first message was called Separation. I was talking about the fall that took place between humanity and God when Adam fell and he bit the bait and obeyed Satan. And for years, God has been trying to set up a strategy plan It wasn't a plan B, it was always plan A. Plan A was man having fellowship with his creator. So when that was broken, there was a separation that took place. That's why sin is still reigning in the earth today. But there was a way, because in the second message, I talked about closing that gap and how Jesus came. He fulfilled what Adam lost. He regained access from what he had lost, and he fulfilled and and, and triumphed over those three temptations that Jesus faced where Adam fell, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. So that closed the gap. 
But it didn't stop there. Today, I want to talk about this veil thing, but I entitle it today, Reentry. Come on, Reentry back to the garden. Everybody say, Reentry. That word reentry simply means to retake uh, or retake over or to repossess what was lost. How many want to regain what Adam lost? Amen? Amen. And so I think we're going to have some fun today as we talk about a few of these topics. And I want to start with point number one um, in this message. And I want to talk about this eliminated veil. Everybody say, eliminated veil. In verse 45, it says this, Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Luke 23, verse 45. And there's only one thing left. And everybody says, well, Jesus died the way he's been made. Why don't I have a right relationship with him? Why can't I gain access for myself? But can I tell you, there is one last thing in the way. Look at your neighbor and say you. And then look at yourself and pull out your mirror and say me. Because we are the ones in the way. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Were we singing that earlier? He has paid the way. He's paved the way. So if he's paved the way and made the way, why are there so little of us Christians gaining access to the fullness for which Jesus died for? It's because we get in the way. Our flesh gets in the way. Our fears get in the way. Our doubts get in the way. Our unbelief gets in the way. Our shame, guilt, and condemnation get in the way. And one of the worst, the sense of unworthiness gets in the way. I don't deserve this. I was talking to Mo about this a few days ago. We were talking about righteousness. And there's a, that, that topic doesn't, it sounds very like righteousness. Like, what, what does that mean? And I, I was thinking about this to myself. Um, you know, most of us, if, if you're like me or like I, I certainly used to be, if I didn't sin the way I thought about sin for about two weeks, I felt really spiritually strong. <laughs> oh, you're not like that? You felt you were on the world. You had it together like you had direct access to the throne room of heaven. You kicked that habit for a week or two, and you were just, you were redeemed, and you felt redeemed. And I think about how self-righteous that is. That's not righteousness whatsoever. Righteousness is when you realize that the blood bought, the shedding blood of Jesus Christ gives you direct access even if you sinned yesterday. Even if you sinned an hour ago when you were fighting with your spouse on the way here and said some things that you probably shouldn't have said. You have direct access. Think about how self-righteous that is to think that it's only by our works and by our only long length of time for not sinning that we now deserve getting into the presence of God. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is understanding I have been washed. I am redeemed. I am blood-bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I have direct access with the Father at any given time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Amen? Do you know why that this wilderness, can you put it back up there, this wilderness tabernacle was uh, developed? It was because the people, what do I mean by the people? The children of Israel go to Moses and say, hey, look, we don't really want face-to-face -face encounter like you're having with God. 
When Moses would go up the mountain, they would see the lightning and the smoke and they would see the thunder. And this scared the people of God. These were God's chosen people. You would think, and they knew the stories, they grew up under the stories of, uh, about the, the garden relationship that God had with Adam and Eve. You would think they wanted face-to-face with encounter, but they didn't want face-to-face encounter. As a matter of fact, it scared them. And so what they came, came up with is they said, hey, listen, Moses, we need, you, we need you to construct something that creates a divide and levels of relationship with God. And we want you to be the one to go to God on our behalf. And then you come back and you tell us what he's saying. And that's most of what Christians do. Is they come to church to get a word from God, but they're scared to ha- get a word from God themselves. Is there's these divides and these pockets and these levels of relationship when God is calling us beyond the outer court, beyond the inner court, and he wants to bring us into the holy of holies. So God's original intent was not to have prophetic voices in the earth. Did you know that? It was not his intent. It was not his intent to raise up pastors. His original intent and design was to have fellowship in the garden with you and I. That was his original intent. That is God's best for our lives, for my life, and for yours. And so what Moses did is he listened to the people. And now we see the result of the falling state of our nation. It's because people want only degrees of relationship with God. I read a sign recently. I think I was driving by a school and there was this sign. You see those, they have these funny quotes on them and it said something like, um, God, where are you in our nation? Where are you in our schools? And it was as if God answered back. This quote says, well, you took me out of it. You took me, you took Bible reading out of the school. You took prayer out of the school. You took my name out of the school. And now you're asking, why is the nation the way that it is? And we wonder why our lives are the way that it is because we got degrees of relationship with God. We like to live vicariously either through the minister or the pastor or whomever it is when God is wanting to bypass me into a relationship with you. Amen. I want you to read that in Exodus verse 18 and chapter 20. Read this with me. It'll it'll be up on the screen. It says this. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. This is God's presence was there. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear But let not God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. And so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. I am excited about helping raise up a generation that are not afraid of God, who are not afraid to hear his voice. He comes with instruction. He comes to love and correct all at the same time. But I pray that a generation would rise up and get a relationship with God themselves. You know why I'm not afraid of Moses leaving? Because it's just a sign that I've done my job. If you stay here too long, it's probably a sign that I've done something wrong. Because at some point in your life, you're called to do something with what God has given you in this place. And so we look at for the past thousands of years, God has been in this planning process all the way from Genesis to Matthew and Mark and Luke and so on into the book of Revelation. God has been looking 
looking and waiting to restore back what Adam has lost. Amen. He wanted to bridge the gap between what Adam had lost and what Jesus had found. But if you see it, it's still not fully restored. And it's not because Jesus hasn't done what he set out to do. It's simply we haven't walked into it and tapped into what God has made a way for. And it's not the pastor's goal to give you the manna from heaven every single week. The pastor's goal or the minister's goal is to connect you with heaven to connect your mind with heaven's mind. My goal is to help set such an atmosphere here that you connect with God so that you get answers for yourself. It's not just my goal to teach you, uh, 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 to give you an example of how to pray. My goal is to teach you to pray yourself. My goal is not to just tell you what I hear God saying. I'm so tired of doing that. My goal is to help you hear what God says for yourself. My goal is to not tell you about God's presence and what happened to me the night before or last week or the week before. My hope is to inspire you enough to get your head into the clouds with God and get an experience for yourself and to hear from heaven yourself and to experience his presence and carry it everywhere you go, in your workplace, in your home, in your own private life. Amen? Help me preach. And if you think about it, it's almost like church still looks like the tabernacle did. As we come to church on Sunday and we, get, and we live it through the pastor because we don't want to get too close. Because we might have to let go of some things. We might have to put certain relationships aside. We might have to put certain language aside. We might have to put certain habits aside. Don't get too close because God might require too much. I heard Catherine Coleman, one of my favorite evangelists. I love her and I listen to her frequently and I, I was almost in tears. My mom didn't know it because I was commanding my tears back up into my face. And I showed her heard this, heard this one minute and 28 second video, and she has that long finger. I don't know if you remember who Catherine Kuhlman is. And she said this, it costs everything, but it's worth the cost. She said, if you really want to know the price, I'll tell you, it costs everything. And that's the truth. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you a closeness with God didn't cost you everything. But I have to tell you this. That's only 50% of the truth. It's worth the cost. Jesus said it like this. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his, my, his life for my sake will find it. And so let's be a generation that's not afraid to get too close to God because of what we might lose. Because if God set it up for you to lose it, you were never supposed to have it in the first place. Amen. Point number two. Going a little long. Number two. When I make this point, I sound like a really old preacher. I told my mom I should have been built in the 50s. I love the 1957 Bel Air, and I sometimes preach like an old man, but that's okay. Number two. He's waiting. He's waiting for years in the tabernacle, God has been waiting behind that veil, waiting for you to step in what rightfully belongs to you. And that is a right 
and a ripe and a vibrant relationship with him. In Luke 15, verse 20, it talks about the prodigal son. I love this thing about the prodigal son, but I, I, I never really, I enjoyed the story, but I never really resonated with it because I don't want to say I've never backslidden because I have made wrong choices as a Christian. But in this context, it's about a son who had known his father and then lost his way from his father. But just recently, I got a revelation of this, and it was probably yesterday, or maybe it was Saturday or, or Friday that I got this revelation. I'll share it with you in just a moment. But I want to read this verse to you first. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says this, and he arose and came to his father, meaning the prodigal son. He arose. He had asked his father for all of his livelihood. He wanted his inheritance. He wanted to go spend it on all types of sorts of living, drinking and alcohol and women. And so he goes and he leaves the father. But watch what this verse says. But when he was still a great far off, meaning when he was coming back home to his father, his father saw him. Everybody say he saw him. He saw him and had compassion, and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And now I thought about that. I'm like, he ran, he saw the son coming. Now, that was a really busy father because he had this huge vineyard and a lot to take care of. So he saw him from afar off, which meant he was waiting and watching. He was watching, he was awaiting his son's return. He was waiting for his daughter's return. Do you know, I thought about this today. How many, I've, how many have gone through broken relationships, either whether it was in your teen years or even in your older years? You know, when we have trouble with people, we go through a year of stuff and we clean our hands with them. And we say, forget them. When I, when I think about, and this is Jesus' words in Luke 15. This is in red. Everybody say it's in red. And we're talking about all these thousands of years you guys had a hard time, and I've had a hard time with, who's had a hard time with a long-distance relationship? Come on. Talking about a long-distance relationship, 6,000 years, and this father is still watching and waiting for the return of his son. God waits with anticipation. When you wake up in the morning, and you get up, and you brush your teeth, and he's furthest from your mind, guess who's first on his mind? When you're ready to jump on Facebook and check out everybody else's business and what everybody's doing today, and, but he's waiting to hear from you as to what your plans are so that he can be incorporated into your plans and help you along in your day. He's ready, he's willing, and he's always waiting with anticipation. When I read that scripture, I can almost see the father leaning in, waiting at the window for his son or daughter to return. He waits for you. I want you to nudge somebody and look in them in their eyes with conviction and say, he's waiting. He's waiting. And you would think that I'm talking about the, the, the lay Christian. I'm not just talking to the lay Christian who got saved yesterday. I'm talking to that Christian who's been saved for 10 and 15 years, who, who, ha, who has no conviction, who can walk throughout their day without uttering one word to God. And then when you get in trouble, you want to throw up some fiery prayer, hoping that God rescues you. No, I'm talking to that mature Christian who needs to ripen their relationship with the Lord, who needs to get on fire again, who needs a fresh touch again who needs to run to the throne instead of the phone once again. That's who I'm talking to. I often hear this phrase, is this okay? I often, I'm so timid when I'm not preaching, I just get a little bit more. Anyway, 
I often hear this phrase, um, I'm waiting on God, and I told you what Reinhard Bunke's response was to me when I said that. This is not true. As a matter of fact, it's erroneous. First of all, God's not lost, and we are not waiting on him. If anything, he's waiting on us. Amen? He's waiting on us, and he's waiting on you and I. I was thinking about, I've been praying and asking God to do some things. I've asked him to grow this church. I've asked him to you know, bless my business, bless my family and my marriage, and I have all this laundry list, and I can rehearse them right now. Oh, you don't have a laundry list? I'm sure you do. And, um, and I thought to myself, either, either, either God is really slow at answering prayers or Donnie Smith's not ready for the blessings to take place. Amen? And, and so he's not, you, you, we say these kind of spiritual things to sound really spiritual, but the reality is, is we may not be ready or our situation may not be ready, right? And we say, oh, I'm waiting on the Lord. I've done that plenty of times. And I got reprimanded from Reinhardt for saying that. My son had, uh, not that long ago, he was watching me shave. And uh, he wanted to shave. I made that mistake and I shaved my, my chest. My, thank God for my brother, my brother Daniel. I seen him shaving one time and I'm like 12 years old and I went and shaved and now I can't get rid of all the stuff that's growing here. <laughs> Cohen wanted to shave. He had no hair on his face. I said, son, one day this will be a blessing to you right now, but right now it's a curse. In other words, the very thing that could have blessed him with the honor of doing could have hurt him more than helped him at a certain stage in his life. And so the reason that God maybe not, is not answering certain prayers in your life right now is not because he's not going to do it. He's waiting on you. <laughs> he's waiting on you, and he's waiting on me. I want you to read this with me. It's in John 19. If you have your Bibles, uh, grab it. I'm not sure if it'll be up on the screen. Um, and it says this, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Everybody say, it is finished. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, John 19.30 is in the same context of Luke chapter 23. It's the same thing. It's just from different perspectives. Luke has his perspective, and he talked about you know, how he gave up the ghost, but it doesn't say it is finished. But that's, Luke was within earshot when Jesus had said that. So same story, same time frame, different perspectives. It's just like if Philip were in the back of the room and he had his perspective, and then somebody else was in the front and they could hear what Philip couldn't hear. So, so Luke records that Jesus said, it is finished. Everybody say, it is finished. So when you think about it is finished, what is finished? What are we waiting for? The more I think about this, I'm realizing that God is waiting on us. What is finished? Look at somebody say, what is finished? He saved you for more than just eternity. He saved you. It is finished. When he said it was finished, he was saying that the blockage and the wall that was put up between me and you, that is done. The only thing that we're waiting on now is for you to get the revelation of what you have access to now. When you pray, things happen. When you come and seek my face, things happen. I didn't say it was about a feeling. If I could be really raw and honest, the first half of the worship service, I didn't feel a thing. But I've learned this art that if I continue to press... Because I know I have access in my heart and through the scriptures. I know I have access. It's not a feeling, but I didn't feel that I had access. But the more you practice the truth, the, 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 the symptoms of the truth will begin to take place. You'll begin to feel God's presence. You'll begin to 
see him at work, but a lot of people sit by the buses. When the bus coming? When is God's presence going to come in? When you don't realize that you already have access because it is finished, just step into it and begin to work it by faith and watch God begin to move. Number three, number three, step in. Look at somebody and say, step in. I said this to somebody this morning. Um, I said, step in, the water's great. And I was saying it by faith. I wasn't feeling any water. As a matter of fact, I hardly knew what to say when I got up here this morning. But it's something about when you step in by faith, too many Christians, put, put the tabernacle up if you can for me, too many Christians are not only just satisfied with standing in that inner court where you see that candelabra, it looks like a candelabra, it's not called a candelabra, but they stand there knowing that the presence of God is on the other side and don't enter in because they don't step in by faith, by faith. Somebody say by faith. We don't step in by faith. For me, going to church is not enough. It's just, it's not enough for me. Reading just my Bible, although that's great, I love going to church and I go every Sunday and as a matter of fact, it's, it's not hard for my wife to tell me to go to church. As a matter of fact, she has to beg me to take a break. That is the truth, not to shame anyone. That is just grew up going to church, love being in the house of the Lord. There's no other place I'd rather be. If we fly out of the country, I'm trying to look for a church come Sunday morning. I'm not trying to go try to have breakfast somewhere. And my wife has to settle me down and say, hey, just be present. Because I'm always trying to step in. She calls me a presence junkie. I got to have his presence. I got to have his presence. You don't want to know the Donnie who doesn't have his presence. Amen. It's not enough. We have to thrive on his presence. And if we're going to access his presence, we simply have to step in. Look at somebody again and say, step in. You know, I've heard this comment made more times than I would like to admit, probably because I would have to admit that I've made it myself. Well, if God wanted such and such to happen then it would just happen. That's really just the voice of someone who is spiritually lazy, forgive me. And let me explain that to you. Can I explain it? Say explain it. Because God acts by faith. And so when we say if it would just happen, imagine if I would have just sat on my couch and said, well, if, it, you know, if I was supposed to have a church, it would just happen. If I were supposed to own a business, it would just happen. Not realizing that God works through faith and action. And so when you step into what he wants to do, his idea, he uses your hands and your feet to accomplish it. God doesn't just clap his hands and just make things happen. He partners with humanity and he made it this way. He made it a partnership. So he's saying, I'm the voice, you obey the command. But once you begin to walk it out, I begin to make the miracles happen. Did you ever think about when David threw that rock and it says it sunk into the giant's forehead? I don't know if you've ever thrown a rock at somebody, and I certainly did as a kid. I was a heathen. I never, I never sunk it into anybody's skin or forehead. So that thought, I thought to myself that, that David in of himself would have just threw the rock and made that giant laugh and chuckle. 
But when God got behind his action, that Holy Spirit began to breathe behind that rock and it sunk it in the giant's head and God gave him the victory. So could it be the reason that God is not moving on your behalf is because you're not stepping out. All you have to do is step out. If that means spiritually speaking, throwing the rock, if that means going and getting yourself an occupational license, if that simply means it's just doing something by faith, God will do what you cannot do. People say God helps those who can't help themselves. Let me tell you something. God helps those who attempt to help themselves because that's faith in action. Amen. And God works through your and my faith. Faith in action. Somebody say faith in action. action. And the reality is, is that unless you take that step, God won't either. God won't either. And you know why I think he created it this way? Is because he doesn't get relationship with you any other way. Because his idea is partnership. It's the only way that he can get you to partner He'll do anything in his power to create some kind of partnership with you because that's where God gets his most satisfaction is out of fellowship and intimacy with you and I. And until you and I, what we say produces action, it will always seem as though God is not moving. Always. How many want God to move in their lives? Amen. I thought about this. The cross is the hinge Listen to this. The cross is the hinge. No cross, no hinge. No hinge, no door. No door, no reentry. Think about that. The cross is the hinge that gave us access to everything. Everything is available. Every need that you have right now, there's an answer for it. There's a door. Every heart cry that you have right now, Every, everything that you're feeling and carrying this morning, there's an answer to that. And there's a door, and his name is Jesus. Amen? And there's a door, and beyond that door is a life full of not only relationship, but partnership. A life of fulfillment way beyond eternity. It's a life full of purpose. Sure, there might be pain sometimes. He said, carry your cross. That it, but it is a life full of victory as well. It is a life full of peak and valley, peaks and valleys. Point number four. This is the last point. I want you to stand to your feet. I'm done. Step in, step in, step in. Point number four is home again. Home again. What do I mean by home again? All those many years, Jesus warning with you and I what Adam lost with him and Adam. Did I say that right? All these years, Jesus wanting this restored relationship with you and I, with her, with him, with you, and with me. So for all these years, Jesus has been trying to set up the chess pieces just right lining up the stars, so to speak, to restore this garden experience that he once had with Adam. How many are tired of going through the religious routines? How many are ready? Oh, you're not ready? How many are ready for the the ripe, rejuvenating relationship 
that you're supposed to have with the Lord. How many are ready? I was thinking just a few moments ago as before I came out to worship. I was thinking about the children of Israel and how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God parted the Red Sea, made a way for them to cross over into the promised land. God went through all the trouble of raising up Moses, their deliverer, and God delivers them under, from under Pharaoh, leads them out across the sea, and they go into the wilderness. And for 40 years, imagine, God promised them, you're about to walk into the land flowing, flowing with milk and honey. It's ready. It's ripe. My promise is ready. And, and, yet, and yet the children of Israel began to wander for 40 years, all because they grumbled and complained. And you know what I studied and found out? How long this journey should have taken them? 11 days. And you know what? That began to speak to my heart. Because there's so many people who are out in the wilderness. The promised land is ready. And yet there's people full, full, full in this room, excuse me, in this room, full all across this room who are wandering. Wandering. A promise is ripe and ready, sitting there ready, and yet we're wandering. God, deliver us from wandering. Let us know that the veil, put it back up on the screen. Let us, let us have a realization, even today, Father, I pray that a revelation would hit their hearts and let us see and let us know that this veil has been rent from top to bottom, that we have divine access into the throne room of God. We have full access into the throne room of heaven where we can hear you, where we can speak with you, where we can receive divine instruction from heaven and from your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray as we end these series, Father, I pray that it would not end a, a passionate pursuit that's being produced here. Even in my own life, I, I feel the ministry shifting. I feel, can, can I share? I'm, I just feel a, a, an unction from the Spirit to share this with you. Thank you, Lord. I went back. I went back in my iPad from the first day we started the church and before, and I, I had goals. I looked at the goals, and, and I felt real spiritual when I wrote them. I felt like, yeah, this is what a great church would look like. But this past year, my goals have changed so much. My first goal was, I want, I, I, I want a ministry that, you know, is explosive, that has, um, you know, it's, it's full of the arts and, and the gifts. And, you know, I, I just, I, I want to make room for acting and dramas. And I do want to do all those things. But they were all at the top of my list. And as I began to see my heart has been shifting, I went back and I was grieved, almost cried when I seen my goals and, and vision for the church. And that's how some of us are, all of us. There's people in this room that have certain goals and you'd be surprised how revealing you are when you write it down. My first goal wasn't host the presence of God. It should have been. 
It should have been producing a hungry church. It should have been to produce a people that's hungry for God and would shake the city. It wasn't my goal, but my goals are changing. It's like I, I wish that was a piece of paper. I would have burned it. That's what I want now. I, it doesn't even matter if it's a lot of people. If it's 30 and we grow to 30, if it's 30 and we grow to 20, you can take anything you want. Anything, just don't take your spirit. Just, just don't take your spirit. I can do without the smoke and the lights. I can, I can do without thousands of people. It'd be great to have all that, Lord, but I need you. I need your presence in my life. I need your power. I need your grace. Take anything you want from me. You can take my business. Oh, but the day you take your presence, take me home. Life isn't worth living without your presence. And I pray, Lord, my main prayer is to bring your people into not just relationship with you, not just knowledge of you, Lord, but into a real relationship where they wouldn't even need my services because once they gain access to you, my service with them is done. Oh, just build it up, Lord. Build it up in us. A greater hunger for your presence. And I pray there would be a sweet release. A sweet release of the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit, even right now, just imparting that hunger. It's something divine. Come on, he's drawing you. He's drawing you back to the garden. He's calling you. I, f- I feel the Holy Spirit infusing right now. Hunger, desire, and passion for his kingdom for his presence. We want you, Lord. We need you. Burn up all of my goals. This one thing I do, this one thing I seek is to dwell in your house forever and it's to produce a people that want to do the same So, Lord, let this be a ministry that is full of desperate people. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.